Welcome to the Single Cell World, the podcast for scientists in which we disentangle single cell technology. Here, frustration and failure are transformed into clarity and understanding. I am Katia Motinho, and in this podcast, I want to share with you my experience in single cell research. How? In the form of useful advices that you can use in the lab after each episode. Ready to learn? Let's start. Welcome to a new episode of this podcast. And today we will talk about data analysis, single cell data analysis. That is something that I'm not expert on, but I invited someone, Dr. Ayub Lastri, to help me explaining a little bit about single cell data analysis, specifically about single cell RNA data analysis. Hi, Ayub. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Katia. Uh, good. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me today and giving me to Welcome. The opportunity to share a bit of my uh, modest knowledge about the topic. <laughs> well, it's more than mine. Okay, so <laughs> that's good already. <laughs> so Ayub is founder of Single Cell Analytics. That is a company where they do data analysis, single cell data analysis. And their goal is to improve patients' treatments. They are focused on patients. But Ayub, I want you to tell me more about Single Cell Analytics, but also how did you arrive to this stage to be founder of a company? Sure. Yeah, so I think the story started in a tiny city in uh, north of Morocco where I was born and um, raised there and then when I was 15 I was diagnosed with uh, cancer and this changed my life for the better because just before the diagnosis I was thinking about as any teenager thinking about or dreaming big thinking about being a pilot or being a <laughs> or doing some space uh, whatever engineering studies and things but going through the treatment and going through a lot with my family just changed a lot in the perception of the future for me. Um, so I always loved mathematics since my young age. I was always trying to solve small problems and things. And this led me to France where I did my bachelor's in pure mathematics. And one of the dissemination sessions that Paris 7 University organized back then was from a professor who came from Marseille. His name is uh, Dominique Barbolosi. So he came from Marseille, uh, gave us this presentation called the Cancer Checkmate. So, but then he twisted the word mate with math and he explained how we can use math to understand the disease, the cancer and find optimal treatment. I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. So later on, like I did a master's in applied maths. I worked in France before moving to Ireland to do a PhD in computational biology. I did the PhD and during my PhD, I was analyzing in a lot of single cell data and there is something that stuck with me is exploring clusters in the glioblastoma cancer and finding that within the tumor itself that there is different types of clusters that will probably respond differently to a treatment and I was thinking oh this is not fair if we focus only on one cluster and then ignore the rest anyway this idea stayed there and then during my PhD I co-founded another company called Celgebra and after a couple of years with Celgebra, I moved to found my own company, Single Cell Analytics. So this is, in a nutshell, where it started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what is the goal of Single Cell Analytics? It's really to improve
improve patient's treatments or to find new ones? Okay, so we are still early in the game and we are trying to understand like the single cell space. We are trying to build partnerships and we are trying to expand our network. Our aim now is to help either researchers in the lab or biotechs to analyze their data, meaning that we want to be partner in the data analysis pipeline. So we help you understand or make stories out of your data. So why us? Because we take a really rigorous approach, meaning that we benchmark a lot of metals before offering them to the client. And the idea that I always have behind is when I'm analyzing a single cell like data or any other data, it's like what this should be rigorous. What if this lead to something that can help some patient in the future? So I will do all and me and the team, we have, we do all what we can to guarantee that we use a rigorous approach. So this is the first thing. The second thing that we want to do at this stage is to train other people who want to do analysis. So show them all the methods out there, tell them the pros and the cons of each method and just give them the tools so they can start the analysis themselves and always be there to help them and push the projects further. At some point, we are in the background always working on our own discovery pipelines, meaning that we are developing algorithms that combines different types of single cell in order to identify new targets. Okay, so you touched two questions that I had for later, but I will tell you now. So benchmarking, okay, comparison of methods. Yes, when someone tells, okay, I need to analyze my data. One of the things that me as a wet lab person, I know that when I do an experiment, there are different protocols, but the protocols are based kind on the same. They are common. The single cell analysis. So what I realize is that people are analyzing with different methods that are completely different, can give you completely different results. So it is really important, as you mentioned, benchmarking. This is something that you do. And my question is, how do you find the best method to your analysis? This is a tricky question. <laughs> you can tell me there is no answer to that. <laughs> Let's take the example of data integration, which is, so let's say you you are looking to do a project in the single cell. Probably you generated some, some data using 10x platform, but there's a lot of data out there, which is coming from a SmartSeq 2, for example. They are not the same technologies. And the first step that you want to do is to integrate your data. Like you would think that there will be one method easy. You take your data, you upload, you click, and then that's it. No. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> so there are probably like for data integration, first, there are different methods. So there are the one that will assume that like data coming from certain technology will have a distribution and some of them will use machine learning methods to learn from the cells, like the expression in the cells and try to correct when they are, when we are doing the integration step. So it's really difficult in the sense that some methods will perform really well if you have, let's say, 10x and at SmartSeq too. And some method will perform badly in this case, but in the case where you have what we call unbalanced data. So let's say that one data set has some specific cell type and then the other doesn't. So when you want to integrate these two data types, then you might be running into some problems even with the methods that perform best. So what we do is we obviously take all the methods out there published in um, good journals, etc. And they have like they've done some uh, 
comparison with other methods and we create like some data set which would be like synthetic but also we take experimental data and we push these methods to the limits so we make like we make some weird not weird cases but like extreme cases but we also test in real world data in experimental data if you think that after that we have one single method uh, the answer is no it just after benchmarking we just understand the methods that's it <laughs> we don't say okay so this is the best one or this is not it just like help us understanding the methods and help us see how the methods perform in different types of, of data you remember me about the benchmarking paper that i published with ati and that it was that so when we were putting the paper together that was uh, something that surprised me but i understand it's like okay there is no the ideal method but there is the best to process with these data that comes as you mentioned from 10x smartseek so yeah that is something already <laughs> yeah it, it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's good but again okay i have the next data let's imagine and there are three methods that are the best ones what should i choose should i do with the three of them what should be the like you mean for the data integration for example or no for example i have single cell rna data okay. from the next genomics and i know that uh, benchmarking tells that okay there are three methods for analysis of this data that are the best ones what should i choose okay i think you're talking from like let's say from the fastq file or from the raw data to getting the the count data okay so here there is obviously like 10x come with it a cell a cell ranger which is the software developed by 10x and it's again like they have a detailed description on how to use it but it's not the only one and there are other software that can do this so basically if we are talking about 10x so like the direct competitor of cell ranger will be star solo so star solo is another open source available package that does something similar to cell ranger so there have been a couple of probably more than a couple of studies comparing the two and they all came to one conclusion is star solo is faster than the cell ranger and unless and my uh, i will add to this is unless if you are not experienced bioinformatician always go with the cell ranger go with the option that 10x offers if you have a lot of data to analyze or to go from the like the raw to the gene count then go with star solo because it's much more faster than a cell ranger and again like the documentation is available out there and like the steps are really clear on how to do it okay let's give a step back so as you mentioned i have my data sequencing data the faster queue from the sequencer what do i do with it imagine i have in my computer so i suppose that in the cell ranger i will upload it to the cell ranger by the way it's very easy to use even me that i don't have a lot of experience in single cell data analysis is very friendly so i upload there and then i use the program what are like the filters or the things that i need to be aware for example i suppose that i will need to remove the dead cells do you have like different steps that we need to do until we say okay i can click the button and let's see the graphic that i will get <laughs> <laughs> so if we are talking about like one thing that is good with the serranger is it will give you a lot of plots about a lot of metrics that you have to that you can see and also it will tell you this is like it will have a green like kind of area saying okay this is good this is not anyway so there are like there are a lot of metrics that you need to have a look at and as you said like removing the dead cells and since we are talking about um, genix a droplet based method so sometimes we'll have an empty droplet sometimes we'll have a droplet that has cells inside that we're seeing 
sequence, so it's called doublet removal. So there are different things that you should have a look at. And also it's dependent on the technology. Again, we are focused now on 10x. You should also look at mitochondrial content in your cells. Sometimes you look at uh, like some cells will be only expressing few genes. So probably like you want to remove the cells or some genes will be only expressed in one or two or five cells. Probably you want to remove these genes. So there are steps that you should follow. So make sure that you have a clean kind of count matrix that can be used for further steps, which will include normalization and clustering, etc., etc. So, and these filters are, let me guess, or let me tell you what are the filters that I will focus. As you say, that cells should be out, the doublets also, uh, cells with a lot of mitochondrial uh, genes. But here, for example, what I like, the idea that I have is that we need to have to be careful here because depending on the disease model or in the type of tissue, if it's a tissue with the cells that are highly metabolic, so the metabolic rate is very high, we need to be careful because automatically they will, the cells will express a lot of mitochondrial genes, yeah, right? Definitely. And what else? So dead cells, doublets, mitochondrial content, and that's it. Or there are more filters. Some people also will filter for ribosomic genes also. Ah, okay. Yeah. What else? Like there are, it's again, it's really dependent on the tissue. There are some methods that can detect like the cell cycle of the cells, for example, and then probably you want to get rid of some cells that are in a specific stage. Yeah. So it's highly dependent on the tissue. It's highly dependent on like what you are looking for in your analysis. But there are some steps that are kind of uh, standard, like everyone will just have this like steps there. And it's exactly what you said. Okay. And what about other type of technology? For example, with SmartSeq, do you know what are the common filters that we need to focus? Because here, for example, yeah, the doublets there will be also because can have two cells in one well. Yeah. Dead cells. I think like the like the filters, once you have your count matrix will be similar to the 10x. It's just like the procedure from going from the fast queue to the count matrix will be different, will be different from the 10x. So now, obviously, like you don't use Syringer for a SmartSeq too, but there are other kind of alignment methods, etc., that are similar to the one used for RNA-seq data. But I think once you have your count matrix, like the filtering for what we discussed will be like similar. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the alignment, as you said, so I have cells, there are, let's say, different experiments being sequenced in the same flow cell at the same time, because we mix different samples from different experiments in one, let's say one tube, and then we load in the machine to sequence. And let's imagine that there, there are samples of human, there are samples of mouse. So I have my data from human. The first thing to do before the filtering should be to see if it's really human, right? If those sequences are right. So you match that against the genome reference. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So there are tools out there. And again, they are used for the RNA-seq. And so you should download your, your reference genome and then use uh, what they call like aligners. Like there are algorithms, again, again there is more than one, uh, but there are algorithms that match your sequences to the, to the reference genome and then tell you, look, like this is the aligned one. This is non-aligned. This is like the, probably like there is a problem in the alignment. And then again, if you want to explore this further, depending if you want to keep the one that are not aligned to see if they are non-coding or something like that. So, but this is the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, no. It I is. know that it's very complex. <laughs> Here today, is, it's just to give an idea to yeah. someone that we never don't want to scare anyone. Analysis, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult for me. My advice is always get someone that knows what he's doing or she's doing, an expert on data analysis, and that's it. Yes, you can have uh, an idea with these softwares that uh, comes with a technology, but it's not enough. It's not really enough. Okay, so now the data, we see if it's uh, human, if it's mice, like we put it against the genome reference. Okay, it's human. We go to the filtering and then the clusters. So <laughs> these clusters, basically, when I see the graphics, they are like spots, spots that are grouped, right? This means the cells that are grouped by similar characteristics. Again, this is what I assume. These characteristics are common genes that are being expressed, so they go to the same cluster, right? Good. <laughs> then, how do we identify those cells? Because the cell annotation that is called the identification of these spots of these cells is something that is also not really clear. Please tell me that I'm wrong, you, but I don't think it is. So there is not, again, me. I assume that there was a reference like the genome reference, a reference, a database where there were cells, let's say T cell. The T cells have a list of genes, characteristics of the T cells. I know that it is a little bit like this. So there are always, let's say, specific markers that were even identified before single cell technology with the bulk experiments. We know that some cells, cell type, they express specific genes. So these are the canonical or standard markers. But I thought there was a database where the cells, a catalog, basically, a catalog of cells. So I get my data. <laughs> okay, Katia, these genes are expressed in this cluster, <laughs> this group of cells. You get this data to the catalog and say, okay, how are my cells named? What is this? But it's not like Unfortunately this. Unfortunately not. Yeah, in an ideal world, what you want to do is you do the clusters and you somehow like drag the cluster and put it somewhere. It's like, oh, this is a whatever. This is a neuron cluster or this is a, but no, it's not the, <laughs> it doesn't work like this, unfortunately. Now, to answer your question, there is, uh, like, I'm aware of probably two or three databases where you kind of type the cell type and they give you, like, all the markers, like, say, like, like this cell type will express this gene, this gene, this gene, etc. Now, how, like, a lot of people, unfortunately, think that we do the clustering first and then we do the cell type identification. Okay, so what I, like, how I see things, like, this step and how I do it myself is these two steps are actually one and it's part of clustering and cell type identification it's one step I tell you why okay because when I'm analyzing single cell RNA data it happened a lot that I will have my clusters and then in one cluster I will find two gene markers for some different cell types so obviously the algorithm that I run didn't cluster well because I, I still see two type two cell types in one cluster so what I do here is I take like the top 10 or 15 and I try to guess which cells should be this, like what type of cells are these clusters. And then I go back to the clustering step and then modify the resolution of the clustering and then cluster again and see if they are separated or not. If they are separated, like happy days, this is the, like, this is T cell, this is B cell or something like that. 
this is how I do the clustering and the cell type identification. So for me, there are two steps that are associated and then the cell type identification will help you to choose the right resolution for your clusters. So I'm saying this, but in most of the cases, like scientists doing the sequencing will expect some types of cells. So it will tell you in this tissue, I expect to see this, 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 this. And when, like when you are doing the analysis, if you don't see one cell type, then it's like, okay, my clustering is not, or the parameters that I use for, for clustering are not good. So I go back one step, adjust the parameters, do the clustering again, try to assign cell type to clusters. There are now machine learning methods where they take, let's say, if you have annotated clusters, so you feed this as input and then you give your clusters as input also, and then it will automatically assign a name to the clusters. Yeah, so these are like the two kind of approaches you can take. One other thing is, let's say that you are studying, I don't know, for example, glioblastoma, and you know that uh, a lot of papers have been published about the clusters and things. So you can take this similar like to machine learning, but it's just easier and you can do it easier in Python. So you can take this annotation and transfer it to your cells. You take like the matrix and then like all the clusters, information, etc., and then you transfer this to your cluster. So this, if you have already a similar data coming from similar tissue that's been annotated before. And usually like even when you are looking to assign names to cluster, this is what you do. Like you go and you search for like people who studied this type of tissue. What are the cells that they found? And then you try to do like something similar and then see. There is a lot of art in this step. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, a lot of art and uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> and again, I'm like sorry. for the clustering, again, you think that there is one simple algorithm, but there are a lot of algorithms there that you can try. There's a lot of parameters that you have to play with, but a key one will be like the resolution of the clusters. So I don't want to scare people out. <laughs> I just like give like uh, an overview of how it works. No, yes. No, Ayub, don't worry. Like when I start <laughs> knowing more, what was data analysis of single cell about? I got a little bit scared. And it's not scared, but surprised. And right now, I am still, after so many years in the single cell research, doing experiments. Because for me, me that I'm doing experiment, or it works or it doesn't work. So it's easy to see. You arrive to the end and I say, okay, there is not good sequencing data here. So the sequencing data, it's crap. Okay, so that's it. But the data analysis is not like that. You use a lot of words that for me are scary. <laughs> like we guess. So, you know, it's like, okay, but what makes me calm down? It's that after your analysis, and I think this is essential. I always say essential is to validate because if you find a new type of cells with specific markers, go and validate, go and do a protein approach, spatial proteomics, or a simple Western blot, a bulk experiment to validate what you found. Don't just think, that what you got in one experiment of single cell, it's true, right? Validate because it's that you can have people that are experts on the field and they know how to put the filters, how to do everything. But again, maybe they are not. And maybe the results that you are seeing is an artifact, right, of the analysis. So again, I think the key is really to validate what we find after the analysis. And this was used always, like the fact that people need to validate. Even when there was RNA-seq, you do an experiment and you have the data to analyze. You analyze the data, but then you go and you validate by a real-time PCR, by a Western. So here is the same. And if the analysis was not good, you will not validate. So this is what makes me, okay, 
we are in the good way. Otherwise, yeah. Again, so this is the reason why we like thought about single cell um, analytics is to help like labs and biotechs, etc., to help them reduce the false discovery rate. If you don't use the right pipeline to analyze your data, or if you are not careful about the parameter you choose, etc., your bioinformatician will spend, or your the person doing the data analysis will spend two, three days and will come back to you with some presentation, amazing results, and you may be kind of, oh my God, oh yeah, so let, let's trade, jump and do this and spend more money on something that's probably, it's a false uh, discovery. So we don't like, to be honest, I, like the only way to ensure that we are not, we don't have false discoveries is to validate, as you said, as you validate. And one way to reduce this in the process is to take your time, understand the method that you are using in depth. Like you have to go, but like if you have a technical knowledge like math and things, it's fine if you don't try to put, explain your method in simple words and think about your data and the method that you are using. Is this a good fit for my data? What are the other methods there? What is the difference between these two methods and which one will suit my data the best? This is one way to reduce the false discovery, like while you are analyzing the data. But the ultimate thing to do is to validate. Talk to biologic, to people who have knowledge in biology that are working in the lab. Show them your clusters and tell them I found neuron in in bone or something and they will be like no <laughs> so show them your clusters your pathways that are activated or inhibited etc and talk to them discuss with them and they have enough knowledge to say okay this graph looks okay and or this one I don't like this pathway here or I don't like this one here can you double check can you change the parameters or something like that so discussion with other team members is key to succeed in this type of project but also there is one thing that I certainly encourage people to do more or like research and things is when you identify someone who will analyze your data, make them a partner from the step that you start designing the experiment. Don't wait till you have your data, then email them and say, please, can you analyze this data? Like make them a partner since from the first step, like what is this project about? What are we trying to investigate in this project and how we can design the experiment together? So once you give me the data, I know what I'm looking for and I know how to utilize this data to make the story that ultimately will benefit us as a group but also like the patients. So this is another thing that I encourage people to do more and more. Yeah, 100% agree. I always talk about multidisciplinary teams because for us that we are doing experiments is really important your feedback of the people that is doing the data analysis because you'll say, look, there is a lot of dead cells, there is this, that, and we can think what we can change in the experiment to improve it. Also, when you are starting the design of the experiments, number of cells, right? How many cells? So this information always come from the data analysis person. It's like, because they will know how many cells we need to have data from to have statistical power for after to the analysis. So I completely agree with you. And this is something that I also mentioned a lot that from the first meeting, it should be a multidisciplinary team. It should be the team that will do the experiment that, and also knows about the biology, as you said, a neuron in the bone, maybe not, and the analysis team. So yeah, I completely agree. And let me ask you now. So you already talk about data integration. This means that if I have data from single cell RNA-seq and single cell DNA-seq, so it's better to combine this or do one experiment where I study both. So I will have both data from one cell, the same cell. What is 
better? What are the best data? I don't have an answer now, to be honest, because it's something that we are trying to look at. So see, like have this, like I know that 10 they have this new multi-ohm where you can have the single cell attack and the RNA in one experiment. And you can have the RNA and the protein also in one experiment, like the single cell RNA and the, and the site, or you can do it separately, obviously, as you said. So to be honest, I don't have an answer now because we still didn't investigate this topic. And I don't want to say anything at this stage, not to, yeah. So if you can comment on this. <laughs> I can say my opinion. <laughs> so right now, what happens? In my experience, the data that uh, we generate at the lab. So for the separate experiments, so if we do a single cell RNA-seq independently experiment from single cell DNA-seq, since this methodology is available for more time and people know better how they should analyze this data, what happened? That at the end, the data are clear, are better quality data, and then is more easy to integrate. When we are talking about experiments where we do multiomics, as you said, the same experiment, we have information from one cell RNA and DNA, these data are not so clear. So in terms of analysis, it will be not so easy to analyze. I will say that people will spend more time me making sure that analysis is correct because the data are not good quality. Why? Because these protocols are developed for a short period of time. So, and besides, they are a little bit expensive. So people are more reluctant to do them. And also the type of analysis, because it's not the same. You correct me, but it's not the same to analyze them independently integrate then I'll analyze both type of data. So yeah, the, also the pipelines for analysis data, this data are not so developed. So yeah, it will a little bit depend on the timing that you have to At do the experiment. At this stage, to be honest, like we do play with single cell attack separately than single cell RNA. We came across like we don't have any client that have the combined data, like single cell attack and single cell RNA. But we came across some published data that has these two measurements from the same cell and we are trying to like now we are looking at the methods out there and how it's analyzed and try to compare like this uh, type of approach to the existing one in as you said like analyzing the two data separately then combining them downstream yeah so it's something that we are still investigating to be honest and um, yeah mm -hmm. but also at the lab also at the, doing the experiment we have more difficulty to have a successful experiment than uh, doing it separately so yeah, I think it happens always when there is new technology, we need time to adapt, to understand how we should do it well on the lab, but also with the data analysis. So it's normal. The same is happening with spatial transcriptomics. It's kind of the same. <laughs> I just wanted to um, mention, like when you're talking about spatial uh, transcriptomics. So now, as you said, like we have the technology and then now a lot of efforts being made to integrate this uh, like pipeline for the spatial transcriptomics so people can easily analyze this type of data. So one example is the SERAT, which is SERAT package is the reference in R where if you want to analyze your single cell data, so one thing that you look at is the SERAT package. So in the latest release, so they included a lot of nice features where you can easily analyze your uh, spatial uh, transcriptomics data. And this brings us to your point that when you have a new technology, we need time to understand how better analyze the data coming from this new technology, but also like which are the what type of questions this new technology will be able to answer and what are the, the limitations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now I will ask you something that maybe I should have talked before. 
like in the beginning, the languages. So you are talking about R. <laughs> I always say that R for me is a letter. Okay. <laughs> so what are the languages that you can use to analyze single cell data? Hi, folks. This question and others will be answered by Ayub in the part two of this episode. This will be released next week. And in the meanwhile, if you want to support this podcast, you have a direct link at the episode description. Thanks for listening to the Single Cell World podcast. If you think it was useful or you learned something new, please spend some seconds rating this podcast on Spotify or leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts. It will make me super, super happy. For more tips or advice, follow me in Instagram or Twitter at Single Cell World or simply subscribe our website or blog at www.thesinglecellworld.com. Well, I will wait for you next Monday with a new episode.